Church. Uh, my name is David Shen, and today I'll be reading from Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 27. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please follow along. Uh, it's also up in the screen. Mark 10, 17 to 27. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is the reading of the word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. For those that are new or visiting or visiting online, my name is Jay. I'm one of the pastors here. And for those that are newcomers, I just want to reiterate, uh, welcome luncheon. In and out. I, I'm, like, I can only think about in and out right now. I'm <laughs> so delicious. The best burgers in the world. Okay, Taste, cost, taste, like can't beat it. Can't beat it. If you, if you want my in and out order, just, you know, let me know. I'll, I'll give you what I think is the best in and out order you can imagine. Anyways, great. Now I, I pushed the wrong button. Now I have to wait. Okay, here we go. Well, um, we are coming to an end in our sermon series uh, titled The Christian Life. Uh, and this is a time when we spend the last six weeks kind of exploring well, what are some of the markers of true Christian discipleship. And if we call ourselves or if we believe ourselves to be a Christian, uh, what are the ways in which we ought to live our lives? What are the ways in which uh, we ought to allow God to work in our lives? And what are the ways in which we should pursue a true transformation to live our lives not according to the patterns of this world, but to live our lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? And last week, uh, we discussed one of the ways that we can respond to the gospel by living our lives as, as humble servants. Uh, to seek in humility to see the, the needs of others more greater and more significant than ourselves. And this week we're going to end the sermon series uh, with another very practical, uh, tangible action and a response, especially concerning a topic which I find uh, someone, you know, somewhat rather uncomfortable to speak about. And um, this topic is a rather sensitive issue, uh, basically because of the kind of the, the way that we view the church and the way we view pastors and how they have taught and how they have misled and misguided a lot of people in, in believing um, issues about this topic. And the topic that I'm going to be talking about is the topic of money. 
Now you can understand why it would be a little uncomfortable. You know, it, it seems like there's a conflict of interest, right? Like, hey, give to the church because my salary comes from the church. You know, like, it, but at the same time, I also believe that the topic of money is something that is very important for us. That the church should be active in discipling and teaching and guiding our church members on how we ought to view money, how we ought to value money, and how we ought to uh, utilize money for the kingdom of God. Now, I understand there is a distrust with the topic and the issues of money and religious organizations, and rightfully so. Because there are a lot of, uh, you know, charlatans out there who are using their platform, who are using their position, who use their authority to extract money in a very nefarious way from unsuspecting people or gullible people or people who are being taken advantage of. Um, now, about five years ago, there uh, is a comedian by the name of John Oliver who, who kind of did a show and an investigation on uh, these religious organizations and televangelists and just, just kind of how they, you know, use their position to scam people out of their money. And um, if you haven't watched it, it's on YouTube, so you can look it up, John Oliver, and just look up televangelists. And uh, things like that really kind of uh, make me, uh, number one, angry. Uh, number two, kind of afraid of the fact that uh, hopefully I'll never be um, deceived into being that type of pastor and that type of religious leader. And, and third, uh, just kind of wondering, well, why is it that so many of us, um, you know, even here in the Bay Area where we kind of pride ourselves in being more intelligent and savvy with money, uh, that we would uh, have these wrong views of what money is. Um, now, there's a famous televangelist by the name of Creflo, uh, Creflo Dollar, um, Number one, what an awesome name. Number two, if that name doesn't give away, you know, something about his character, like it should, right? Like I'm thinking about changing, I should be like, you know, like coins, you know, I don't know. Corey Coins or something. I don't, anyways, I don't know why I thought of that. Creflo Dollar, right? Anyways, about five years ago, he had a, a giving campaign, a fundraiser, a project that he titled Project G650. Okay, you're like, well, what is, why? Well, the reason why is because he wanted to buy a private jet a G650 private jet. Um, the, the price tag on that was $65 million at the time of purchase. And um, this is a type of private jet that even billionaires had to be on the waiting lists uh, to get this private jet. And the reason why he wanted to purchase this private jet was because he would tell his congregants and his followers um, that as he travels the world to preach about Jesus, that he should travel in style. You know, I'm like, okay. I get the logic, but you are a scammer. And because of things like this, I think we have a very uh, wary understanding or very wary uh, perspective about how churches talk about money. Uh, and sometimes we kind of go all the way to the other end where we believe that uh, pastors and churches should have nothing to do with money. That there is some sort of a correlation between holiness and poverty. Uh, that the more uh, impoverished a person is, that somehow uh, that they are be, they're more holy because they can, uh, you know, sustain and, and endure a lot of things, right? And uh, this is a type of thing, especially uh, sometimes in an Asian Christian setting where you believe um, the, the pastor is holier if they're poorer. And it's better to follow a poor pastor while I'm rich so that I can kind of leech onto his holiness. Uh, so we, we judge people based on some of the possessions that they have. And I think one end of the spectrum or the other, they're both a, a, a reality is that it's a symptom of the misunderstanding and misideas that we have about money and how we should view money as Christians. So therefore, living in this Christian life, what we want to do today is we want to talk about the uncomfortable topic about money, how it should be viewed, how it should be valued, how it should be utilized 
for the kingdom of God. So today we're going to look at the story of the rich young ruler. We're going to see how the love of money can deceive us. How the love of money, uh, it, and I'm not saying just money because money in itself is not sin. The love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible tells us. So we're going to see how the love of money can deceive us into believing lies about our own character. Then we're going to see how the love of money puts us under the rule and authority of a wrong kingdom and a wrong king. And lastly, we're going to get some practical applications for us to practice how to differentiate ourselves or, or separate ourselves from the sin of the love of money. So the first point is this. We're going to look at the deception. How the love of money can easily deceive us into believing that we are okay. Now, when I read this story and I read this passage about the rich young ruler, and this is a famous passage, especially if you've grown up in the church. You've probably heard uh, sermons or you've done Bible studies on this passage many times. But it's, easy, it's kind of interesting that when we come upon passages and stories like this about a rich young ruler who was unwilling to give up his possessions to follow Jesus, um, there's a way that we explain the character or we explain the situation in a way where we distance ourselves from this story. Now, um, perhaps you have heard uh, a preacher speak on this passage. Perhaps you've read a commentary. Perhaps you've read a book about why um, this situation occurred. And one of the ways that oftentimes uh, people kind of read into this text is that when there's this interaction between this rich young ruler and Jesus, Jesus tells him to follow these commandments. He lists, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And some people would say, see, do not defraud is actually not part of the Ten Commandments. And the reason why Jesus interjects this do not defraud into the list of commandments is because he is reading into the life of this rich young ruler that somehow he is a fraud. He has defrauded a lot of people. And the reason why he is rich is because he has taken advantage of unsuspecting people and therefore gained riches in that way. Um, it's a good guess, and it might be true. But the Bible has no, and this text has no proof that that is actually what is being displayed. But oftentimes we make these claims or we come to these conclusions because it's much more easier for us to believe this about the rich young ruler, which then creates a big chasm between the type of person he is and the type of person that we think we are. So we say, oh, this passage and this situation only applies to charlatans only applies to people who are willing to go out of their way to defraud others for the sake of their own greed and gain. So we think about big evil corporations who are, you know, in an evil way gaining billions of dollars, you know, based on lies. Or we think about rich, you know, billionaires and just some of the type of things that they're willing to do to gain their riches. And we think, but us, we're just regular, ordinary people, we are not subject to this type of greed. But when we really look at the explicit clues of this passage and the way that Mark describes this rich young ruler, we see, I think, uh, a different view of what type of person he is. He is a person who is taking the initiative to seek out Jesus. He approaches Jesus in a humble posture. 
it says that he comes and finds Jesus. He runs up to him. And again, in that, in that custom, a Jewish man of, of authority, of, of position, to run was the most indistinguished, undistinguished thing you can do. Why? Because in order to run, you have to kind of hike up your, your cloak and run. You know, like, you, you can never look cool running like that. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You got to run like this, you know, but if you have to, it, it just, that's not something that men did back then. Not only that, but he kneels before Jesus in a, a posture of humility, and he calls him good teacher. And as Jesus says, do not, you know, do not murder, do not steal, all these things, the man's response is, I have kept all these things from my youth. Now, whether that's true or not, that's one thing, but the fact that he believes himself to be someone who is righteous, someone who is religious, someone who is able to even come into the presence of Jesus to ask and inquire how to inherit eternal life tells me that in terms of uh, how the world viewed this person, that he was a respectable, religious man of good reputation, that he was someone who was successful, that he was probably looked up to by a lot of other people in his community. That he was not this nefarious and evil schemer who was defrauding people constantly for his own riches, but he was someone that you would consider a leader of a church, the leader of a synagogue, a leader of a community. And because of this, I think it's very easy for someone like this rich young ruler or someone like us where we believe this deception that we do not have an issue with the love of money and greed. That we are outside of that spectrum. That we are outside of, of that trap. But the reality is, is just like this rich young ruler, we also struggle with greed and the love of money. Greed is one of the sins that is talked about most in scripture. And yet we talk about it the least in, in churches. Greed is a symptom that I see even at a very young age in my children. Like my youngest son, Jacob, he's three and a half. Okay? My other kids aren't here. He's, like, definitely my favorite. Okay? Because he's so cute. Right? I mean, I love my kids equally, but, you know, parents, you know, there's, there's, there's an unwritten ranking. Right? Um, <laughs> Everything he gets, I give him. He wants snacks, I give it to him. He wants french fries, I make it for him. And then when I say, can I have one? He says, no. <laughs> no. Right? And I'm like, how dare he be so greedy? And, and, but that's all of us. We struggle with that. And yet the love of money, the reason why it's so dangerous is because it makes us believe this lie that we don't have a problem with greed. And that's exactly what this rich young ruler was struggling with. The second deception that we believe is this idea that the things of this world has more value than the things of eternity. Okay. Now, outwardly, we'll never say it, but our actions prove otherwise. See, with this rich young ruler, what we have to understand is, number one, he's successful. He is intelligent. He knows the value of things because he has a lot of things. And he knows the value of investing. That's why he's a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he asks, How must, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
So what we understand from this, this interaction is this man believes that there's something he can do to inherit eternal life because throughout his entire life, he has been able to gain and access things based on his actions. He's, been, he's that successful. And, and the question itself seems very innocent and pious, but when you really look into the, the, the motivation or even just the wording of this question, we see that this rich ruler, what he's seeking is just another notch in the success of his life. Just another way or another thing that he can claim, another thing that he can possess. And Jesus, understanding this, he exposes the heart, the very heart of greed in this young rich ruler, and he says, go sell everything and give to the poor. Go sell everything and give to the poor and follow me. Now, we'll talk about that, that command to follow me in the, in the next point, but the reason why I bring this up is because in this rich young ruler, the lie that he believes is he believes that the things of this world has greater value in his life than the things of eternity, which is the worst investment that he will ever make in his life. Because what he's asking for is eternal life, and what Jesus is asking him to give up for that eternal life is, uh, you know, life on earth, thing that cannot last for eternity. And yet in the heart of his hearts, he believes and he acts as if the things of this world is more valuable than the very thing that Jesus Christ can give to him. Now, when, we say, when I say it like that, I'm like, this guy's an idiot. But when we really reflect on our own lives, we operate under this paradigm on a daily basis where the, the decisions that we make or the things that we, we choose or the things that we do in our lives actually correlates with this rich young ruler's thought process. That we believe that the things that this world has to offer will give us more value and is better and more desirable than the very thing that Jesus wants to give to us. And this isn't something just out of the blue. Jesus he speaks on this even previously in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. He says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And yet on a daily basis, I believe that we all make decisions where we forfeit our soul for the things of this earth. Now, I know that sounds like very like outlandish, and that sounds very like kind of out there, and you're like, you're, but... Think about it. How often at work, at school, or just in our lives do we choose the things of, of this earth over following and obeying Jesus? Because, you know, Jesus doesn't tell us to sell our things and, and sell to the poor or give to the poor. But he does ask us and he does command us to follow him. But so often we make the decision otherwise in the other way, to follow the things of this world instead of following him. Second point is this, that the love of money and greed, it puts us under the rule and authority of a different kingdom. Okay? Puts us under the rule and authority of a different kingdom. Now, the rich young ruler, um, initially it says that he is seeking eternal life, right? He, he wants 
um, he wants eternal life to be something that he can achieve and get, be given by, by Jesus. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because as he's seeking this eternal life, we see as we read the rest of the passage that it was uh, conditioned uh, as long as eternal life fit his paradigm of life. As long as eternal life is something that he can inherit without giving up the life that he so loves and desires. He was willing to seek eternal life and inherit eternal life as long as it doesn't uh, you know, go against the comfortable life that he already has. Right? And I think this, this idea is something that deserves a little bit of extra attention. Because this rich young ruler, he had great possessions, the Bible says. Uh, and, and, it's, and when we think about who he is, it describes him as somebody who probably has any, everything and anything that he would ever want in this life. Right? He probably had uh, you know, a great home. He probably had uh, servants. He probably had a lot of livestock. He probably had a lot of you know, like spices and like delicious food. You know, he wasn't just eating like bland food. He was getting spices from all over the world. He probably had a lot of jewelry. He probably had so many things where it was difficult for him to give up. And with that mindset, he believed that he just required one more thing, eternal life. And he goes to Jesus seeking approval about his current lifestyle. That, hey, you can continue to live that way and you'll still have eternal life. And that's all he wanted. That's all. He, he wanted his cake and he wanted to eat it too. And this really shows that his allegiance and loyalty lied not with the kingdom of God, but it lied with the kingdom of this earth. It lied with the God of money, Mammon. That he was willing to live his life according to money and greed as opposed to living his life according to the commands of God. And I think for many of us, when we think about who we are loyal to, we really have to be honest and reflect upon the, this question. Am I living as children under the kingdom of God or am I like this rich young ruler who is willing to give lip service to our Heavenly Father, but live bound by the, the, the handcuffs of this world and money and greed. See, when the rich young ruler asked Jesus about inheriting eternal life, what he did not understand was that eternal life is, is not a thing to be collected, but eternal life is a thing to be received when you come under the rule and authority of God and his kingdom. When we look at the command or, or the statement that Jesus makes to the rich young ruler, a lot of times we, we kind of get caught up in the sell everything and give to the poor, right? Number one, like selling everything is, is not easy, right? You, you want to you get equal value for your possessions. Um, if it's used, you probably won't get equal value. So already I'm like, if, if God told me, hey, sell all your possessions and give to the poor, I'd be like, man, that garage sale is going to suck, because I'm going to be arguing with people. They're going to be, you know, wanting to buy my golf clubs at a, at a discount. and be like, heck no, you're not getting it for that price, you know. And, like, there's all these things that I want to hold on to. Uh, and so not only do you have to sell everything, and then, yeah, you have to give to the poor. And when you get to the poor, you, you know, you got to do your research. You got to make sure it's not going to, like, some, you know, shady organization where, you know, that person's going to buy a house in L.A. or something. Like, you, you want to make sure that the, the organization you're giving to is a reputable organization. And, and you think about all those things, and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe I won't sell my things and give to the poor. 
But the real command that Jesus is giving is follow me. Follow me. And with that command, what he is asking of us is are you willing to live under the rule and authority of a good kingdom? Are you willing to live under the rule and authority to the king of kings, Jesus Christ? Instead of being living under the, the, the kingdom of this, earth, in the, of this world and this earth that tells us that cash is king, what Jesus is demanding of this rich young ruler and what he's asking of us is, are you willing to follow me? To place your trust that the ways in which I lead you and guide you will always end with grace and love and peace for your good. And when I think about this idea, and I think about even just my own life, I realize that it is so difficult, it is so difficult for me to truly live under the rule and authority of someone other than myself or something other, you know, something that is kind of in, intangible. Because in this world, it's very easy. As long as I follow the rules, as long as I live a good life, as long as I seek, you know, work hard at my job and do the right things, then what is promised to me is a good life. And so we kind of get, you know, I, you know, I get bogged down by that. I get obsessed with that. That's all I want. All I want is for my kids to grow up healthy, for them to have good opportunities, for, uh, to, for me and my wife to have, uh, you know, go on nice vacations and to eat good food. I want to be able to go to a restaurant, like not the five, $5 sign ones, but like, like a $2 sign one, go to a restaurant and, and not look at the price on the menu. You know, it's be like, I, just want, I want that, you know. And when it says market price, you know, when it says MP, market price, I'm like, I, I, I'm not going to be like, how much is the market price? I just want to be like, I want that, you know. Give me, give me the uni and the lobster. And, and, and then we start obsessing about that kind of stuff. Because what that does is it binds us to a kingdom that is not of God. But it binds us to a kingdom of this world where it teaches us that greed and success and the love of money is the way we gain these things. The rich young ruler, he wanted, inherit, he wanted to inherit eternal life while still living under the kingdom of the love of money. And those two things cannot go hand in hand. Jesus, as he gives his life for us, what he, what he does is he wins us a place under his kingdom. Under a kingdom that is not bound by the things of this world, but that is connected to his love, to his grace, and to his peace. And when we want to follow him, what we are announcing is that we are no longer under the allegiance of the power of money and greed and the things of this world, but we are under the allegiance of a king and a God who is constantly and always good. That the things that he will require of us will never lead us to the path of destruction, but will lead us to the path of goodness. I always wonder what would have happened to this rich young ruler if he actually obeyed Jesus, if he sold all his possessions and he followed him. My conclusion or my guess 
is knowing Jesus, him being good and a good, good God and a gracious God, that this rich young ruler, that his life would have been much more fulfilling than what it became. A, a man who was bound by the earthly possessions of this world. So we'll look at our last point, some practical applications. What are um, some practical applications that we can take from being people who are not bound by the love of money and greed? Again, and, and this is not an exhaustive list, and this is not, uh, you know, a, like a step-by-step, you need to do this and, and things will go well in your life. It's, it's really just some principles for you to think about and for us to kind of reflect upon. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, but first, um, in our application, number one, um, the way we make decisions in our lives needs to be done with the kingdom of God in mind, not based on monetary uh, gains. Um, and and here's, the, here's the thing, like, how, the question is, how do you make decisions in your life? Um, what made you decide to come to the Bay Area if you are not originally from the Bay Area? Because uh, the way I look at it, um, it makes no sense to live here in the Bay Area, right? When, when rent is like $4,500 for a, a two-bedroom, you know, run-down apartment, like, who wants to live, who wants to pay that much, right? When, when a bowl of pho cost $14.95 when it should cost $8.95. You know, like, who, 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 wants, who wants to live in an area that's, that's that, that expensive? Right? I, I mean, and the question is, like, why? What made you decide to come here? And if we can all be honest, it was like, well, this company offered me the most money. And not only that, but there was a um, hope that this would just be the stepping stone to bigger and greater things, right? I mean, uh, when we think about the Bay Area, it, it reminds me of the gold rush, you know, a couple hundred years back, and, and now there's a different type of gold rush. It's the same thing. It's, it's just people all flooding to the area to gain riches and, and money and, 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 and prestige. And even for, for uh, families, like, how do we make decisions in our lives? Oftentimes, it's based on what job or what career is going to provide us with the greatest opportunity to give comfortable lives for us and my kids right when you move jobs what is the main factor some will say quality of life but oftentimes it's the the highest salary the the best stock options right how do you even make a decision to uh, choose your career no one chooses careers based on how little money can i make then you become a pastor. We usually think like, <clears throat> you know, like what, what's the best job that I can get while doing the least amount of work but the most amount of money, right? That's what I tell my kids. I go, hey, don't go to, don't go to law school or med school. That's like seven years of work. Be an engineer, right? After four years, you can go straight to work, you know, or just be really good at video games. You, can, you don't even have to go to college then. You know, I mean, that's the way we think. So we ask ourselves, how do we make decisions in our lives? Is it based upon the earthly standard that this world has told us is wise and shrewd decisions? Or is it based on a different standard of a different kingdom that would say outlandish things such as sell all of your possessions, give to the poor, and follow me? I think we have come to a place in our lives and in our culture where we no longer submit to prayer and, and ask the question, is this pleasing to God before we actually make a decision? I so wish that this rich young ruler 
that if he stayed on his knees and if he asked Jesus some more questions and if he and maybe even prayed to him that he would not have gotten up and left. But the moment that Jesus said, sell all your possessions, give to the poor and follow me, instead of remaining on his knees and, and in humility and dependence upon him, he gets up, he walks away, and he is deeply grieved because he has so many things. So let's consider how we make our decisions in life. Do we make it based on, on fiscal responsibility? Do you make it based on, uh, you know, what, what is the mo uh, most wise and shrewd investment that we can make based on our stocks or our vested, you know, interests and all that kind of stuff? Or do we make our decisions based on what we feel is God leading us in a specific way? Second thing, uh, in order for us to really apply um, this practically in our lives is we have to understand what it means for us to give back to God what he has already given us. Now, I'm not going to shy around the topic of tithing and, and giving uh, to, you know, to church, to organizations, whatnot, because I think giving away our money uh, is an is a, is a important discipline of the Christian life. So the first thing that we have to understand is that when we give, that we give in faith. And what I mean by giving in faith is that we give believing that this act of giving will produce in us a righteousness that can only come from God. And we give in faith, believing and trusting by doing so that we are pleasing God. Right? And, and here's the thing. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't. He is the owner of all things. He created, you know, he's not like, hey, I, I need your 10%. Like, what you doing? Like, you know, he's not like, you know, calling us as debtors. He, he does not want to take our money. He doesn't want our money to take us. He doesn't want us to be bound and, and, and enslaved by the love of money and greed. So when we give in faith, we are giving, believing and trusting that this very discipline and act that God has commanded us is for our good, for our benefit, so that we would continue to live under the rule and authority of a good and righteous king. Not only do we give in faith, but we must give out of sacrifice, not out of surplus. Um, this rich young ruler, I, I wonder, like, if Jesus said, hey, sell 5% of your possessions and give it to the poor and then follow me. Like, maybe he'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. You know, no, but he tells him to sell everything, all his possessions. And I think a lot of times we have this mindset that we will give, whether it's to church, whether it's to nonprofits, whether it's to those that are in need, that we will give once we have enough to give. So we're always willing to give out of our surplus. And even out of our surplus, maybe not always, right? Because we all have this scarcity mindset. And I understand because living in the Bay Area, you're rich but you're poor. You know what I mean? And you might be a student. You might be in different walks of life. But the reality is, is that compared to the rest of the world, even compared to the rest of America, we are living very affluent lives. If you have the freedom to be able to spend an hour on Sunday to come to church, um, you're doing okay. okay. If you have the ability to live in or near Palo Alto, you're probably doing okay. Even if you're a student, my guess is that you're a student at Stanford. You know, that ain't cheap. 
you're paying for it somehow, whether you're in debt or whatnot, but you believe that you'll be able to pay that back. So you're probably doing okay. We are, the reality is, is oftentimes we have this mindset or this idea that we'll give once we're ready to give. But the more you have, the more difficult it is to give. My first job as a seminary student was a pastoral intern at a church as a children's pastor. I was getting paid $300 a month. And I was like, I got to give $30 of that. I was like, well, that's, I, can't, I can't give $30 when I'm only making $300 a month. And, but the more my uh, pay increased, the harder it was to give. So if you think you're having a difficult time giving a certain percentage because you make little, the more you make, the even, hard, even harder it is to give. And so we give not out of sacrifice or not out of surplus, but we give out of sacrifice knowing and trusting that this very act of giving and un, unbinding ourselves from greed and the love of money is for our benefit. Now, the idea of tithing, the word tithe literally means 10%. Nowhere in the New Testament does it actually command us to give 10%. It commands us to give cheerfully in faith, uh, it, and it commands us to give sacrificially. So a very practical thing is this. If you are not giving, think about giving 1%, maybe 2%. If you are giving, think about increasing that um, in the way that you feel God is leading you to. Maybe you're already giving 10% and you're good with that. Hey, cool. But maybe the Holy Spirit is coming. It's like maybe you got to give more. You know, and reflect on that. Hash that out. And I'm not saying this again because I want more of your money. I, you give it to the church. You give it to a nonprofit. You give it to whatever. But most importantly, this is an act and a discipline that we as Christians need to practice so that we are no longer bound by the kingdom of this world, but that we show our allegiance to the kingdom of God, one who owns and has created all things. And lastly, we give, most importantly, cheerfully and with joy. Sometimes my kids do share their food with me, but they do it very reluctantly. And you know, like when it's Skittles, they give me the yellow Skittle. Might as well give me no Skittles, yellow Skittle. You know what I mean? Like, give me, if you love me, give me the purple or red. If you like me, give me the orange. If you don't like me, give me the yellow, right? That's, that's how I view Skittles. But we, sorry, I don't know why I came to that point. But we, we give cheerfully, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's this act of joy, believing and trusting that no matter what we give or how much we give, that we give in the name of God because he will always prepare and provide for us in ways that we can, will be surprised by. And we give joyfully knowing that what we give will be used and utilized by him for his kingdom to benefit his people and to create a righteousness in us where we are no longer tied to greed, to the love of money. Now, um, again, just I'm going to end with this. But even this morning, you know, I've been reflecting on this passage and this sermon all week. And even this morning, I woke up early, took a shower in the shower. You know what I thought about? I thought about winning the lottery. 
And I was like, man, I wish I won the lottery. And buy a place in Maui, just snorkel all day. And then I was like, whoa, 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 what the, where did that come from? It just came just like out of nowhere. Because that's how captivated we are by the love of money. Think about what do you daydream about when you got nothing going on? Usually that kind of directs us to where our heart lies. So with that, take some moment, uh, take a time just to reflect. Um, before we end with the final song, I, I just want to lead us in a time of reflection and, and a time of prayer. Think about this. Uh, what was the last time you, you were daydreaming and, and what were you daydreaming about? What are the, the stressors in your life about big decisions that are coming your way? And how are you making those decisions? What is the criteria and the standard in which you are deciding on certain things? Maybe you're thinking about moving jobs. Maybe you're thinking about diff different investments. Maybe you're thinking about purchasing a car or a home. How is it that you come to those decisions? If God and, and, and his word it does not come anywhere near that, then we must really repent and think about um, the possibility that we are ruled by the love of money, that we are ruled by something of this earth. So take a few moments and then I'll close for us in prayer.